0: I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. I'm Manuela Stucchi Pranetti on the show today from Badia a Cotobono in Tuscany. Hello and welcome.
1: Hello, thank you very much. Thank Lovely you for being, being here. here.
0: <laughs> so, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of Badia Coltubono, as we know?
1: You know, a little bit is is a hard question <laughs> because the history of Badia Cotibono is so long. But I, it has started as a monastery. Badia really means abbey, monastery, and it was founded um, just before the year one thousand. So, Badia a Coltubono, the Abbey of Good Harvest of Good Crop as a history in the winemaking, because these monks, Benedictine monks, at the same time started also uh, reintroducing the cultivation of the vineyard in Chianti that had a little bit disappeared for some centuries between the Etruscans and the barbarian invasions. So they started again the cultivation of the vineyard and the monks have been there until 1804. That is when Napoleone Bonaparte came and he threw them out of the place and then in 1846 it was bought by my family so it's uh, there's a very nice interesting continuity for for uh, on the property for what was happening at the times of the monks and now and today
0: so, so uh, viticulture in this region stretches back to the etruscan era
1: Yes, yes. In fact, we have uh we have also uh, always on the property there is a little uh Etruscan uh, site. It's an excavation. And in fact, just this last year in June, uh during the excavation, they were going deep down into a well, some uh, grape seeds have come out. So we are now looking into finding out the DNA of those grape seeds and seeing, you know, the connection with the today's uh, uh, cultivation that was dated 2000 years ago.
0: That's amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah, so it's quite fun, yes.
0: And then the monks, how would you say that they uh, affected the estate? It looks like an abbey when you look at it. Um, mm-hmm. What What did they do in the area? How did they affect viticulture in the region?
1: Well, the f- Probably the most important thing, together with the fact that they started viticulture, it is that they also created the system of sharecropping. I see. It was really created by the monks, and uh, which has functioned. It has worked so many years, centuries, in fact. And it is, you know, dividing the property into smaller entities. Every portion would be uh, holding a house and the house would be, you know, the house for a family normally three generations together at least, so 20 people living there And, and then together around all the ground was enough to cultivate enough for that family and half of it would go to the owners of the land. And this is a system that has worked in Tuscany brilliantly until after the war, the 50s, 60s. That time, it sort of, you know, there was a different economy coming up and industry and all that. So a lot of peasants has started living, and sort of, uh, you know, looking for more because it was it was a decent living, and probably, you know, especially in the last times, not hunger, but still there was not a possibility of making money. So it was. Uh, and that is the reason why a lot of people left. And that is also the really reason why a lot of new people came in, you know, and these uh, properties have become wineries, bigger, smaller. And but Cultivorno was there and remained the same.
0: Because when, a lot of times when people think about Tuscany, they think about mm-hmm. smaller boutique operations that yeah. happened since the yes. 70s or so. Yes. But you're sort of the opposite that, of that. You've been yeah. there for. Yeah, we've been a long there time.
1: since long time and since before, yes. Yeah.
0: And uh, what was the extent of the estate under the Benedictines? It seemed quite large. It was.
1: It's still more or less the same because uh, um, it was. It is now eight hundred hectares of land, which would be around two thousand acres, and most of it is woods. So the part that is uh, in vineyard is sixty hectares. I so see. That, that would be. Uh, uh, 15,
0: it's it's acre. about. One hundred and forty acres, yes, I think, yeah. something like that.
1: Yeah. So that's a much smaller portion. Most of it is still woods, forest, and very beautiful. It's more or less the same... The same dimension as it was at the time of the monks.
0: And there's a speaking of forests. There's a particularly old cypress tree. Is that true?
1: (laughs) There are some old cypresses trees. The one you probably refer, it is a huge uh, cedar of Lebanon.
0: Oh, the cedar. Sorry, I get my c's confused.
1: (laughs) Very, very large, very beautiful, very attractive. Which is just outside the monastery, in between the monastery and which is now the wine resort and the restaurant that we have there.
0: Yeah. And that's in Gaiole.
1: Yeah, the, it's the southern area of Chianti Classico, and it's the comune of Gaiole in
0: Chianti. But the vineyards are in Monti. Is that true?
1: Monti is a subzone of Gaiole in Chianti. Got it. Yeah, so it's a it's a fraction of Gaiole in Chianti, and you know it's very hard in Chianti Classico to actually define the subzones because you know it is, is there's uh, people that would then uh, fear a sort of classification higher, lower, sure. and so on. So it's, there is a lot of resistance nowadays. But Monti Chianti certainly is one of those areas that are quite compact and very good, uh, very very lovely production there.
0: How would you stylistically yeah. compare what comes from Monti, just not in qualitative terms, mm-hmm. just style, yeah, style, to Rada or yeah. Panzano? I yeah. What's the difference?
1: Probably more floral and more fruity, more generous in uh, at the nose, uh, the the the, the Monti style. I would definitely would say that it's a little bit more sour and Rada more elevated. So. Um, the style there, it's a bit different in that sense.
0: And uh, you also uh, have significant olive oil holdings? Olive,
1: yes, yes, olive very juice. important. You know, what makes our olive oil quite well known is it was a very brilliant intuition of uh, my father that uh, already in, this, in the um, 60s and 70s, he thought that olive oil was to be bottled and sold as wine, as precious. And before that, it was not really considered a sort of a, you know, precious item. So he started this um, separate operation just for the olive oil. And that has given us a nice uh, start in this, uh, everywhere, but especially in this market. People loved it. (laughs) And then with my mother coming in with her cooking class, that made it even more famous. And and certainly the quality is very, very special, very, quite unique because of where the, olive trees are based it is a sort of elevated area very cold and so less not much um, crop but the crop is very intense the, the flavor is really really intense and we've always been very careful in crushing so that uh, we get the best fruit out of it the best freshness and so there was there was always an, in you know a very high quality search also for the olive oil
0: and let's speak about a little bit about your family your family uh, purchased uh the the winery estate in 1846 mm-hmm. and uh, your relatives were related to the Selvapiana estate in Rufina is that true or
1: yes that's true the fam the family that has purchased, it's called Giuntini and that's my father my, yeah it's my father's great grandfather and uh, then my my grandmother that was born Giuntini she then married into Stukiprini that's why we have this name but the Giuntini is the same family that Selva Selvapiana and uh so we are cousins and uh, and also close cousins in the sense that there is al- there has always been a link and exchange between Savapiano and Coltibono we are not distant rufina and uh, and the chianti hills where we are positioned they are quite close so there there's always been a lot of uh, exchange between the two wineries
0: and then your mother was Lorenzo de Medici yeah
1: but my mother Lorenza de Medici was uh, her family coming from the major Florentine family, was uh, very, very early in time sent down to Naples and was based in Naples on the mountain uh, of of the Vesuvio and uh, in a little village called Ottaviano. So my mother's name is Lorenza de Medici di Ottaviano. And then uh, her her grandfather moved from uh, Ottaviano to Piemonte and Lombardy. So in fact, my mother... Considers herself very much a Milanese from oh, Milano. Okay, yes. okay. In spite of her, you know, long, beautiful uh, uh, Tuscan uh, surname, she's a very Milanese into her way of being.
0: And she was a, very accomplished in her own right uh, as a writer and and as a uh, yeah. cookbook author yeah. and yeah. Cook, cooking school instructor. Yeah. What was that like? Oh,
1: it was. It was very probably surprising for her too, because when she was asked, she was before the major uh, success with Italy, the beautiful cookbook cookbook that was published in late 80s. Before that, she was writing recipes for Italian magazines and her style was trying to be, um, was trying to be Very simple, and also she also had an idea that, you know, she wanted to help Italian women to get a little bit out of the kitchen, rather too much inside. So simple recipes and lots and lots of recipes. And then she was proposed to do Italy, the Beautiful Cookbook, and that was such a huge success. It was probably the first book that made Italian cooking so world famous, and also not cooking just, but also the culture and uh, so she became a sort of an ambassador she was called everywhere you know her beautiful name her also professionality in doing it and that's how we started also uh, the cooking classes at colti and people started coming down and wanted to learn from her and so in a in a few years the that place that was a little bit our private summer home became a a one resort, as it is now, where we have hospitality, people come. And in fact, it's such a unique place and so beautiful that as a family, we decide we sort of get out of it and leave it to the community because it's uh, so valuable, you know, the culture that brings Cultivano, it's so unique and important.
0: Because you have a sibling that runs a restaurant there. There, yeah. There's a cooking school. Yes. Then there's the winery and yes. the olive oil.
1: Yes, yes,
0: So it's, it's a fairly big it uh, is situation. Fairly big. There's a lot going on.
1: Oh, yes. It is a lot of it's a big operation. Agriturismo. Yes, People agriturismo, exactly. And the restaurant is even outside the agriturismo. The restaurant is ah. available all time. So my brother Paul is running the restaurant. Then Roberto and I run the wine business and the agriturismo. And, uh, and then there was a younger brother. He did a cooking school for some years, but he now moved to England. <laughs>
0: So your your mom was writing for Vogue and mm-hmm. she I uh, was also on TV. Uh
1: Yes, she was on TV on PBS here mostly. In uh she had a program that was called The Medici Kitchen that was broadcasted very early 90s. And it was, uh, that again, very successful. It has been sold all over the world. It has been seen in uh, Japan, China, Australia, and she was invited everywhere. And very, very, she became very well known for that, yeah.
0: Well, the name Medici really rings so many bells with the history of Italy and culture. In fact, you know,
1: when she was working
0: for Vogue, Italian Vogue
1: and Novità, At the beginning, she was signing Lorenzo Stucchi. That was her American editor said, you know, would you mind using your your maiden name? And and so that's how, of course, she agreed. It was interesting, you know, background.
0: (laughs) And uh, the estate today in terms of wine, uh, you... Have some other grapes, but you really focus in on Sangiovese. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. The
1: whole uh, concept for the wine it is it is the same, you know, as for the agriturismo. It's like preserving this property with its heritage, and the heritage there is Sangiovese. So for that reason, we decided that we would not add or buy Sangiovese or other grapes from outside, but just sort of use, and we, we use uh, only Massal Selection from our own Sangiovese. And also we made uh in um in 2003 official organic produ- uh, of officiality of our organic production but it, we could say that we never really actually completely stopped being organic which is you know we've always been there because it is also another way to be very authentic we try to convey something that is a very authentic style of chianti that refers to the past it's modern but it doesn't it hasn't changed too much from what it was in the past we just modernized it Without making it uh, really different, and that is happening because we are cultivating that grape and we are trying to, you know, to be careful to maintain a structure that was already in in the past.
0: Because where others might uh, blend Sangiovese with Merlot or Syrah or Cabernet, you've chosen not to. No, uh, and you you do little Carignano sometimes, and you have a bottling with some Carignano and Colorino. But but it's native grape varieties to yes, the region, yes, local grape varieties. Exactly.
1: We have one another wine, uh, another Chianti classico that is more recent, where we have planted a whole lot of um, traditional uh, grapes that were sort of losing favor. Sort of those that they come in blending grapes. Uh, as you said, there was there is some um, black malvasia, some colorino, some canaiolo, some. Uh, um, Foglia Tonda, some Pugnitello, and all those are now growing also, and we're harvesting them and sort of watching out if something can move into being a single wine or not. Or But at the moment, they're all used as a blend for one of our Chianti Classicos, not the Badia Colti one that is called Cultus Boni, which is a little slightly different.
0: And when did you start the production of that wine?
1: Um, the first uh, harvest we came out was two thousand one, but in fact, the the, the the vineyard that full vineyard has started really producing since uh, two thousand five six. So now it's it is only with the most recent vintages that the formula is in with the full. With all these little grapes coming in,
0: and then you also make a bottle that's all Sangiovese called Sangiovetto. Yes, yes. Uh, and when did you start making that one? That
1: was a project that was started in 1979, and it started where when our um, consulting winemaker, that is still today our consulting winemaker, uh, Maurizio Castelli, he came over and, and decided that that you know was uh, was in a way, like sort of a mission for us, you know, to prove and show to the community how, you know, the potential of this grape, how beautiful it can be. And of course, it took a long time. You just, you know, you have to put a lot of attention in the in the vines, in the vineyards and, and learn a lot about it because before that it was never vinificated alone. So. But now I think it's a wonderful wine and it is a project where we actually study the limits. So the San Gioveto is a wine that is produced in a total lack of oxygen. It's very calm. It's very, it stays on the leaves for a really, really long time in a barrel. And that's, uh, you know, where it's sort of, it is allowed to become itself and show uh, what it is and its uh, potential with a very, very slow making of it. And it's it's interesting. It's a, it's a wine that is um, it has followers that are really liking it very very much.
0: And it's not made every year. Is that true? Yeah. Only in certain years. That
1: yeah. is because to make a wine like that, if you think that you're leaving the wine on its own leaves and pips and everything for such a long time, you can only do it if it is the grapes are perfectly matured. If you just have a little dif- problem, or uncertainty, or you know green in a corner at the end of the pip, it will show up and it will make a disaster. So we. We only do it when really the grapes are in phenomenal state and uh but it and it is also i think uh you know showing how well uh, the sangiovese can ripe in Mont in chianti the how really nice uh, the weather of chianti classico is for the sangiovese i don't think that that kind of elegance Uh, can really show up in other areas of Tuscany. We are very lucky in that respect because Chianti Classico really has an ideal climate for the Sangiovese grapes.
0: When you taste your wines uh, versus other Sangiovese bottlings from other producers, what is it about the Massal selection, vine material, or about Monti Um, or about how you handle it that really stands out for you in the glass? What is it really summed up for you? As
1: Uh, it is, I think it has summed up to this very uh, um, the fact that we could work on elegance rather than powerful wine and so it is the fact that we are working around the acidity of Sangiovese Uh, Sangiovese has this characteristic of acidity that is unique to Sangiovese and it has to be respected you cannot I don't think it's fair to come out with a Chianti Classical wine that has not that uh, central part of facility but then um, the type of tannins that they come out they're very very elegant and very very you know if they're fine they're not big and rough but they're very tight and very very fine and those are wrap up the sangiovese what we have done also is that we built the winery where we actually vinificate the wine where everything happens on gravity and this was probably the first winery in Italy that uh, used this system and that is extremely helpful because the tannins now they're so solid, and round and, and, and uh, captivating that they are um, helping you know the the, the the global experience of the wine and third thing is the minerality when you taste the wine the combination of acidity and minerality makes your mouth really water a little bit you know wanting food so it's very playful with food so together it's elegant uh, a lot of uh, very generous nose very nice and floral nose and uh, this um nice acidity which kicks in but gently it's not uh, aggressive it's just uh, a playful acidity so I think that is the result also of, you know the type of terroir we have at Monte with the type of uh, soil and and it's quite typical of that area I think
0: and you tend to use larger casks in general mm-hmm. uh, for, for yeah. French oak yeah. by yeah. Cooper in Austria so.
1: yes in Austria also yes we also like to use uh, uh, Austrian oak, because Austrian. yeah, because if um, because mostly because we think you have to be very very light handed with oak and Sangiovese. It's um, it's easy to cover it up, exceed, and uh, and that's not what we like to. We like to sustain the wine, but not you know just make it a little. Uh, give it a little bit of togetherness, but not uh, showing too much the wood. So larger cask, which have have always been used historically, there is still proof today to be the most ideal way.
0: I mean, it must be interesting to uh, be at an estate for 150 years in the family, to have it, uh, the actual physical surroundings date back to the Etruscans and to see uh, over since, say, the 1970s, rapid change in Tuscan wine in general outside of your own estate. Um, yeah. How would you compare what's happening kind of beyond your property with what happens in Tuscany broadly?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Tuscany is such a beautiful wine growing area. We're so fortunate there because the, the combination of climate and soil is so perfect for many many wines so uh, it's certainly very nice to see that tuscany as and you know tourism and all that is it's such a uh, uh, it draws so much attention so that's very very nice what i like is to Really, be very loyal to the tradition. So there is, and, and in Chianti Classico, there is a true tradition. If you come onto the coast, I don't mind, you know, using other grapes and experimenting other things because there was not such a tradition for fine wine. But Chianti Classico always had a tradition for fine wine. Chianti Classico was, uh, you know, the denom- denomination that has three hundred years of history. So there has, there is an history there, and it's very interesting to respect it and to promote it, and it's difficult at the same time because, you know, there is excitement coming from other areas and bigger wines, a little bit more international in style. And so, you know, we're still there with our old. But um, but uh, the thing, the whole project for me was to become exciting with Chianti Classico. And excitement there is really explaining the authenticity and the unicity of the place, not sort of fooling around and trying to uh, be like others but really to be very specific to that only to that little place and i think that's interesting for people that you know like love love wines the, it's more about finding the diversity rather than looking for the same uh, taste everywhere
0: and uh how have you found that your own wines age i know you make chianti classico you make reserva you have the sangio as we spoke about but in general when do you drink your own wines well,
1: I think a perfect timing for the wines it's uh, especially for a reserva wine would be 10 years and even for san gioveto it's it's at the beginning the wines are very very pleasant but in fact you you experiment you do not experiment that when after years the sort of the tannins start loosen up a little bit and they become a little bit more creamier so you lose that that Fake impression. It's not a real impression. Sometimes people think Sangiovese is a dry grape. It's not a dry. It's just. You know, it's just a combination, and it's like an effect of uh, opening up and spreading around your mouth and your palate, and then kind of disappearing. But still, there is a there is a um, a back taste that still will be there. But it's like a tight and long back taste. It's not really wide and open. And that's that uh, more wide experience. It comes with uh, long aging. 10 10 years, 10 to 20, then our property, we're very lucky because we have some, we have a collection of historical, we call them historical vintages that they back up to the 50s. We open up uh, currently from 70s up and they're fascinating for people that are interested in how wines age, they're really fascinating experience.
0: What do you think uh, happens to Sangiovese as it gets older? I mean, just in terms of flavor. If we're talking about thirty-year-old Sangiovese, what is it tastes like? What would be analogous?
1: Well, it is. It is of, of course. It sort of lighten. It gets uh, a little lighter in terms of you know body, and and the acidity tends to come up, and um, uh, that happens. You know, it depends also from vintage to vintage sure, because the of course, 70s yeah. still is is very captivating and very very nice and sometimes even had bottles from the 50s. Of course, the nose is. Uh it's a little bit more predominant because of uh, the experience of opening it and pouring it in a glass and leaving it there. I usually do not decant these the bottles. Either I double decant and put it very quickly back, but I like to decant it in the glass. I really like to enjoy the full experience of starting it with really nice and close and then leave, and then experiencing within the next, you know, if it's a very old vintage from 70 and before... Twenty minutes of life in the glass, maybe half an hour, will be it. Because uh, it's not that after it will, the wine will be dead, but it will be less interesting. Those, that, the, during that time, there will be an experience of very great, nice uh, uh, earth uh, aromas and uh, and pep and more, you know, spices than you know. Of course, the wines that they are younger.
0: And I I think we all have our kind of idea of classic Tuscan staple foods uh, Mm -hmm. that we see in restaurants or that we might even make at home. But if you were to pair your wine with a, a dish that was not classic Tuscan food, what would it be? I mean, what would be the application of a place like New York where anything is available? Can I be very, very sort of, of pushy? Yeah, you can say I whatever you like. pushy,
1: very dairy. I have had one of the most touching experiences in my life was in Japan recently. That was three, two months ago. And it was paired in a, in a traditional Japanese restaurant with a uh, dish that was a sort of a, let's say, duck soup. But the soup had the, the consistency of the broth was quite thick, and the duck was very, very, very elegant and very. And that has been one of the most incredible, sophisticated pairings ever occurred to me, and and that was really something that sort of moved me into another world <laughs> in a way. And um, but uh, you know the, the the acidity of the wine it really is. So playful that I just, you know, when it comes to Chianti Classico, with Reserva, Sangiovese, I'm a bit more picky and choosy, but with Chianti Classico, I don't mind going with all, even spicy foods, you know, even ethnic foods. It's really very, very friendly wine.
0: Because it's still on the fruit a little yeah, bit, because it's not yeah. aged first. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so... In terms of your winemaking with the enologist, does he consult for other estates that I might know mm-hmm. about?
1: Oh yes, yes. Maurizio Castelli is a uh, he's consulting for. Um, you know, one historical, it was Grattamacco. Sure. Yeah. So now the Grattamacco is owned by the same group that has also Montecucco. So he's he's a consultant for all that group. Got it. And uh, he, he's always, even Grattamacco being in Bulgaria, he's always been centered on Sangiovese. Um, down in um, uh, another lovely wine they do with Maurizio, it's um, uh, with Boscarelli. But so Boscarelli is another historical, and then uh, I mean, and then in in in, in Chianti Classico is Castellares, another winery he's been consulting for a really really long time. So he has um, he has good you know old cl- customers that have been. I mean, he's been with us and Castellare since uh, late 70s.
0: In a way, I can see the style in between the two, but Padilla seems a little deeper yeah. than Castellari. Is yeah, that yeah. Fair yeah. to say in terms yeah. of texture. Yeah, deeper
1: and and yes, and more a little bit more typical of of Chianti Classico. But I think the 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 one uh, aspect I really appreciate of uh, Maurizio Castelli is the fact that he is. Never showing his personality, he's always really working for the personality of the winery and the wines. and I think that's uh, that's very important he's also um, is he's not someone that you know oh you know super <laughs> known he's sort of really stays works behind and really works very, very, very intensively to bring out the the typical characteristic of that single winery.
0: And he works with your brother Roberto?
1: Yes, well, when it comes, yes, of course, but when it comes to blending, we all work together. I see. I really, because I, uh, you know, we have been, uh, I have been soliciting the wines like, uh, you know, the Cultus Boni or even um, the new uh, Vinsanto that is called Occhio di Pernice, which is... it's a Vin that is made out of uh, Sangiovese grapes. So I've, yeah. I've been because you know I'm I'm the one that is very much on the market. So I really see and perceive and bring home what is. Uh and and I, I absolutely have to be part of the blending, I have been for many years now.
0: Um, so that's interesting that you guys decided to do a red Vincento because you had been making mm. a Malvasia Trebbiano Vincento yes. and yes. then you decided to make one yes. all from Sangiovese. Yes. yes. Uh, what are the flavor differences beyond just the color? How are they different? How do you use them different?
1: It is because you really get the power and the complexity of Sangiovese, of course showing in a total different way than it would show for, you know, in the red wines. But uh, our, our Chio di Pernice is always, um, as our vinsanto is always played on the elegant notes. So it's uh, there is an acidity, it's not a very sweet, only sweet, it's always very balanced between sweetness and acidity. And it is, um, the complexity of the of the Giovese is showing in that wine. How I would use it differently? I I personally like to pair it with uh, just a few walnuts uh, just a little piece of very very old dry cheese uh, not you know i don't like to put it with desserts really personally i i tend to like the the opposition rather than you know going from sweet to sweet so my suggestion usually is that a date or dry dates or and walnuts is fantastic and some very very sharp and
0: old cheese so uh, we've seen that you've already mentioned a couple of additions that have happened with your generation mm-hmm. at, at the uh, Badia Cotabono in terms of the new Vincento and uh, the new blend of the different grape varieties that are historical to the region. How else do you think things have changed within your own generation at the winery or have they not?
1: Well, they have changed because we have we are the generation that has in fact built the winery, the wine making facility because before because of the sharecropping system, the wine was made in many different smaller wineries all through you know, I didn't the property know that. that was until the seventies and then in the eighties we started consolidating, but we net, we didn't really have a real uh, one unique place, and it was still in a village with uh, some uh, things happening a little bit scattered over different places, close but not. And it was our dream to be able to bring you know the everything together. And the fact of making this uh, wine making facility where you can actually work on gravity it was a huge project. I'm glad we did it in the 90s, and uh, so now it's, you know it's sort of in the past already. <laughs> And um, and it's working so well. I mean, that and, you know, and really becoming strictly organic farming and, and also, you know, some different in the, in the pruning system that we have introduced uh, some 10 years ago. All that is slowly adding up to a quality that I think now today, Badia Coltibono, is showing the beginning of you know, the next step. So now the quality is really there. It's really nice. It's really exciting. The wines are really very, very good. And consistently, I see that in tastings, they come out, uh, people that professional tasters, they tend to recognize now called buono You know, I'm very aware of what happens in Tuscany and Italy more than outside. But I see that there is a consistency and I think from now on, we are going to bring it up to a further step of quality. And that's going to happen because, you know, the vineyards and all and experience and all that.
0: Because at the in the in the past there were cellars at the Abbey facility, or well, ancient cellars, but there wasn't a winemaking facility. No, no, oh, I didn't, no, I didn't. put that together. So it was
1: really magic <laughs> that we yeah. were playing to putting together the wines, and we used uh, we used um, some houses that were together in a little village near the vineyards. But a thing was inside, and thing is outside. It was very very uncomfortable. Now everything is really state of the art. It's a beautiful. Uh, place and and the winemaking is so perfectly running, so perfectly. We've been you know working, working, and and this is definitely our generation addition.
0: Definitely. And you also choose to use indigenous yeast. Is that true? See,
1: well, you know, yeah. it's not even a choice. <laughs> so nice, happy, and strong <laughs> that they just kick in. <laughs> they're just uh, the Tuscan kind. Yes, huh? the yeah. Tuscan kind. <laughs> plus, you know, they're respected with uh, because of the organic farming. We are we are very interested. F- in this uh, uh, indigenous yeasts, uh, and uh, because they're all obviously they're part of this uh, unicity and uh, and uh, you know character of our wines
0: <laughs> well i'm starting to get thirsty i see that you brought a, a <laughs> bottle of your wine maybe you could take us through what we mm-hmm. have here
1: Yeah, of course. We are having a bottle of of, uh, Chianti Classico Riserva, which is uh, what is uh, uh, on the market now. We're shifting uh, soon to the 2008. So this is a 2007, which was a fantastic vintage. Very, very classic. You know, in spite of the weather changes that are sort of occurring, and we we are starting to deal with them, and yet we are quite lucky in the Chianti Classico area because it's not so brutal the weather still and, and the vineyard still resists. So uh, this reserva uh, AO7, I think it's uh, it's a very nice indication, very classical indication of uh, how a reserva can taste. Just to make it clear, reserva, it's uh, it's a choice in the vineyard some vineyards are dedicated for Reserva Sangioveto and, and Cultus Boni so the top wines and so there is a lesser crop so there is more work in those vineyards and then once uh, the wine is um, brought into the winery after the vinification the fermentation and all that it will age to become a Reserva in the barrels for two years versus one year so there is more you know that's why you, you choose grapes that have more aging potential and uh, but again uh, the Res- that we tried to look is uh, not an over exceedingly strong and and uh, powerful but it's uh, it's about elegance it's about smoothness it's about um, a certain uh, f- quite unique mixture of uh, uh, elegance and also a little bit of um, hard character that is part of uh, Chianti and its history. Chianti Classico was very isolated and difficult to... I mean, the the wine is probably its best product because uh, it's the only real product of very hard land, difficult to, to cultivate. So 2007... Darker cherry than a Chianti Classico. That would be red cherry. This is a little darker. And also some mm, darker fruits, wood, underwood, you know, like, which is something that I like. And would you say, does it go for you also a little bit towards some chocolate or maybe it's not there, but sort of pushing it for darker? It hints darker. at that without mm. getting it, 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 It's not know, not mocky. Yeah, not, no, yeah. it's not.
0: Just nuance, as yeah, opposed to. You know.
1: It's not about, you know, big, huge flavors and tastes coming. It's all more about enjoying the finesse and the elegance. And uh, But yet, as I said, there is uh, salivation, there is depth, and there is um, a nice aftertaste that keeps, keeps lingering on.
0: One of the things I really have uh, that draws me to your wines is they don't play for bigger power often. You, mm-hmm. you know, in, I felt like uh, in Tuscany there um, over the last, say, two two decades, there, mm-hmm. there have been a lot of producers that mm-hmm. were rewarded critically for big, deep wines. And I felt that uh, for whatever reason, you guys ignored that trend and you stayed with what you were doing, which mm-hmm. to me uh, tastes more of the old Old way, like I've actually had Barilla Cotabono from the '60s, and I see a stylistic uh, line that runs through them. Uh, even though you change wineries and and such, it that still tastes of what I might have with salumi, and mm-hmm. just a classic mm-hmm. wine. Um, and you know, I think that's what draws me to them. I don't I don't know what other people really like about them, but I find that that draws me in. There's a there's a kind of uh, classic character mm-hmm. to it mm-hmm. that says Sangiovese without trying to be something else, mm-hmm. yeah. What? Well, how would you uh describe what Carignano brings to a blend like Can, this? Uh,
1: you're saying you're thinking of uh, Canaiolo, sorry, Canaiolo. Yes, Canai- sorry, sometimes I, I forget, <laughs> and I'm in France for a minute. I apologize, yeah. Canaiolo. Canaiolo. Yeah. It's a it's a little um, it's it is in our reserva, it's now like a five percent, so it's like more an homage to a tradition than a real. It's um, it's a sort of another fruitiness, another edge, a little fresh edge of fruit that comes in and some coloring also. It is, uh, you know, because we do not, we are not particularly concerned in coming out with, you know, very deep colors. I rather like to have the wine shine a lot of light and... Um, so this wine is uh, really more red ruby than anything else. So some of these grapes that come in, like the canaiolo, jollo, colorino, all those are just also to help a little bit with color. So less more, less about really the taste, but it's a bit more about adding a little hint of color, which is, as I say, it's not really... I really like this nice red ruby color and I really like the shining of light in it. So it's uh, that's it, yeah.
0: And uh, you also have a negotiant uh, business where you buy in grapes?
1: Yes, yes. We have started this because um, we were lucky. We had uh, more demand for what we could actually produce. So we thought it would be interesting to come out with wines that would be well-made. It is a negotiant that has, it's not an industry, it's still very artisanal. And in fact, those wines are purchased from other areas. There are so many still very small producers around Tuscany that they would not be able to have the dimension to even... Uh, sell with their own label, so they're quite happy to be able to convey it, and uh, you know, with um, also Dr. Castelli Maurizio, he goes around consults, and you know, we can sort of help out a little bit in the in the growing, and so we can get a good product, and um, of course, it's a it's a sort of a, a little more entry level compared to Padilla Coltibuono, still. I think prices of Chianti Classic are still very interesting and, and appealing, but that that line is a little lower. And so it, it's a way to approach people to come and, and learn about Coltibono and then eventually come up to taste the Padilla Coltibono also. Um, so far, we have not managed to be um, guaranteeing an organic line in those wines, but we are we are coming close. There is now some... Uh, we probably will be able to do it also for that uh, negotiation line.
0: And that line is called Coltibono. Yeah, just so simply
1: Coltibono. Yes, because once you add Badia, it really becomes the place, and it's the full name Coltibono. It's uh, it's uh, it means uh, the good cultivation. So it's also in a way could be used by itself. It can be also a fantasy name.
0: And what do you see is the position of Chianti Classico in the world market? And you do travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sometimes I feel like anti Classical is kind of ignored because it doesn't seem fancy enough in a way. Yeah, right. Uh, what, what is your uh, impression?
1: It is totally true. It's, uh, it's our main uh, problem and concern is it's not considered fancy enough because... People consider Brunello more fancy or, but because those are smaller productions, but in my, and what I'm trying to convey, and it takes a long, long time, but I won't stop, is that, uh, you know, there's a, there's in top uh, Chianti Classico wineries, there is a quality and an elegance that uh, people really have to understand. And once they understand it and approach it, it's hard to deny it. So... They were, they, they, as you say, exactly. You no, know, everybody really feels, uh, you know, the, the urge for Chianti Classico. But when I can get them and they understand and have, you know, some interest and start tasting the wine, then I know that I, I have them
0: because usually they're proving to be really very successful. And if someone were to not know Chianti Classico well, mm-hmm. I and mean, I think we've all heard of Chianti, but if they didn't know the wines well mm-hmm. and you were, Um, saying to them, yes, you should come visit Tuscany. What are other estates that you especially admire in that area where someone might better understand Chianti Classico Mm -hmm. for having tasted them Mm -hmm. as well as yours?
1: Well, you know, there's, uh, of course, there's, you know, uh, we have my very, very close neighbors. They're very, we have a very... Tight relationship and we work together a lot. So I'm talking of uh, someone like San Justo Rentennano
0: They're so nice. Those uh, and people.
1: they're so people. Yes, exactly. And we are there like us. They've been there forever. So we're. It's really, amazing that, that yeah. castle fortress. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. Yes, absolutely. And the santo yeah. room, yeah. like yeah. the attic. Yes, yes, yes. So it's really old Of course, I would suggest a Piana. That's not Chianti Classico. That's another. Area. That's Chianti Rufina. So it's another Chianti, but. And then, but um, uh, also, you know, Riecine from Gaiole. It's also, and, and of course, you know, there, there is a group of uh, wine producers from Panzano that is also very interesting. And I suggest this because we all work together in the organic program. Uh, we are in fact now trying to work with uh, with our neighbors in uh, Monti and Chianti and uh, to promote a sort of a district of... Um, uh, organic farming for the whole uh, area of Gaiole, trying to get everybody on board and become organic, all of them. So, I think you know, if you work with this kind, if you go and taste and find out about organic farmers in Chianti Classico, you'll be well off in understanding the style.
0: And that's in terms of maintenance of the vineyard lands, but mm-hmm. it seems that you're also involved with maintenance of the local roads. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. The the white roads.
1: It is, you know, this this. Properties. They're not just a local. It's not just only about wine, but it's wine within a historical context. So yes, the local the roads, white roads, because they again they're part of the diversity and the and the uniqueness of that place, the beauty, and uh, I personally have a passion for biking, and so the, we have in Gaiola this. Uh, very adventurous uh, gathering of, this <laughs> called Eroica. It's uh, bikers that they come on old historical bikes and they come and they just do this. Uh, you can choose if you want to go for a shorter program or a really long, very, very, very engaging. But it's it's a very fun um, Meeting that happens every year uh, in uh, early October and it's getting more and more popular. And all these people get on on their own bikes and they go through these dirt roads and they get to know other areas of Tuscany that are
0: interesting and beautiful. And there's a professional bike race that happens every year too?
1: Uh, The Eroica has also a professional uh, part of it, yes, which is in um, uh, May, June. And the one that is happening in October, that's not professional. It's really for passionate, but, you know, there's more and more people are coming because it's a wonderful way to get to know Chianti and, um, and uh, you
0: know, it. seems like it'd be it. beautiful to bike through that area. Oh, yes. Especially <laughs> yes. on a, like an old yeah. antique bike. That yes. sounds like a lot yes. of fun to me. <laughs> yes. But there's a, a problem with the uh, roads declining and you have, you need well, to... Well, you
1: know, it's living on a dirt road. I mean, it applies a little bit of uh, uh, extra effort, you know, for your, for your tires. And uh, so not everybody's favorable favorable and so there's a lot of uh, debate about them but certainly not for the main roads but for the side roads it would be very important to just keep them and not because you know everybody comes and want to rush back and forth just to go get out and lose them because they they are a unique character and then interesting also for the life of the you know the, the fact that being organic in Chianti Classico is so easy. It's also because there's so much wood. There's a sort of a natural balance of the whole area that is still there, and that's very important for the health, of, also of the single vineyard. So animals, everything comes into
0: that. Um, so not monoculture, but yeah, not monoculture, polyculture, exactly. and having exactly. forests and perfectly. Because yes. when I think of Tuscany, I often think of those beautiful trees yes. along the oh, roads. Yes,
1: yes. yes. Yes, Um, very important.
0: But I've only briefly visited Tuscany and you've known it for many, many decades and through your family history. And I just wonder if you might be willing to paint for me a picture of some of your memories of Tuscany over the years and how maybe it's changed or what you specifically remember from your younger days visiting and what it's like now and things that have really stood out for you about that region Mm -hmm. as you've grown up and you've traveled to other places so you know it in context. But I mean... What has really been special moments for you inside of Tuscany that define the place?
1: Well, you know, define the place is, uh, is really this uh, this incredible, Coltibono Bono has an incredible uh, personality on its own that is so attractive because you can really breathe all the centuries of history there. It's, it's just so powerful that even, you know, after so many years of going and living there and it still catches you. Then uh, for me, it's, uh, as you say, forest, woods, you know, the whole mixture of things, animals, life of animals, night animals. And uh, so it's, of course, seeing the vines, the viticulture has been important to me. But the most important was being able to run around when I was young, it was very isolated. I said that before it was far remote, and nobody was coming there and that was in in a way thinking maybe back then I didn't notice, but now thinking of it it's it was very 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 attractive and fascinating um it allowed us to grow in a in a, in a, in a probably in a time of uh, frame of mind that today I see for my kids is so different. There's have so many solicitations for us. It was, in a way, being bored was <laughs> part of our growing up. But maybe in that being bored, you have you 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 build up your own uh, passions, your own attractions. So it was quite nice. I like that isolation. I have a little book. That was written by my great-grandfather, dedicated to his daughters, among which one was my grandmother. It's a very funny book, and it's sort of it's called Intimate Life at Badia a Coltibuono. And it starts by saying, you know, dear daughters, and I really want to live in writing the a little description of our days here and And it says quite early on, it says how this place, how we treasure the fact that this place is isolated and far away and remote from everything, and it can be so quiet and so out of the world. And uh, so I, I appreciate that very, very much. But at the same time, I think that in this world nowadays, Sharing it with people that come and visit is so important. It's more important than keeping it secluded. I think that's um, something that makes all of us very, very proud. Um, my, my, one of my engines because it is certainly it is a very intense life to go around and sell wines and represent, and certainly it's very engaging. But it, uh, it is, you know, so beautiful, and I'm so proud of it. It's. Um, Uh, It's so rich. There is so much going on there, and people are always very, very um, open to understand and uh, allow me. You know, they ask me uh, in a way as you are doing now, and I think it's such a gift. You know, to be able to.
0: There does seem to be something very special about Tuscany because when I speak to customers in restaurants, it's uh, about special moments they've had with wine in a place. Tuscany comes up more than any other place in the world, I think, in terms of we were on holiday there, yeah. my wife and I or maybe we just we hadn't gotten married yet, we went. They seem to to carry with them that glow of the Tuscan sun mm. for many decades yeah. uh much I'd say the frequency that I hear that is much more than any other yeah. region in the world
1: because there is still there is still a lot of authentic life going on there, especially you know maybe big cities big cities is not big big big, but still Florence is certain it's different but if you go out in the countryside you really can taste and and experience something that is um still quite authentic people there are very um how i say they are in treasure their heritage you know if i go and talk to local people in gaiola about uh, japanese food i i I've, I've tried once they so just now the beginning to be interested but they are so much more in favor of their own culture, and that is very interesting, because uh, you know it is it is very fast. This world is very fast, and of course, everybody every time everybody cooks, you reinterpret your recipes and things. So it's very easy to move about to move away from, but it's interesting how some you know parts of Tuscany managed to keep the tradition there, and revive it, being modern, but not losing the past i think that's important you know there is new places in the world where you can experiment and go but there's places that have a sort of like a mission to keep holding a little bit back which doesn't mean being conservative in a in a blind way it's mean conservative in a in a, a contemporary way <laughs>
0: And what are your own memories, to bring it back to wine, what are your own memories with wine that really stand out for you, whether it be Tuscan or not? What is a moment that you really enjoyed well, when you were drinking a glass of wine?
1: I have started, you know, in, in my teenager times, the first memory, it was in 1970, which is going to date my date me. Oh. <laughs> but it is. it was one summer that I remember for the first time Perceiving that there was an excitement about harvest, and that was that was striking to me because before that I was not really so much aware, you know. Instead, so I remember in 1970, everybody was saying, "Oh, this is really nice, nice grapes, nice harvest." So that made give me a little point of interest. And then, you know, we were talking about uh, San Justo and Tenano, sure. so with them. They were their own, practically them and, and you know, so Broglio, we were their only neighbors. So, Cause especially th- with San Justo, we'd go there and taste wines together. And and
0: historically, them. they used to own Broglio, right? Their family. Well, right?
1: their family, the family, they're the same families. Uh, they used to be part of the family and then, you know, with uh, um, sort of Inherited heritage, spread it off, spread often, off and yeah. they are based in San Giusto. But San Giusto had a fanny, a very nice, uh, also called Tiburon. We were, you know, moving from one place to the other and we started tasting wines together. Maybe not very professionally at the beginning, <laughs> it was just enjoying them, but...
0: in that little shed were, at San Justo, yeah. that yes, shed to yes, the, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah. Manuela Stucchi-Prinetti, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's well, uh, been very lovely to speak with you.